for your son Jesus Christ and thank you for the fact that we can lift your name up this morning and we can worship you. Thank you that you step into our lives in the middle of every difficulty that we face and you provide the peace, you provide the healing, you provide the strength that we need as we face each day. And Father, this morning I think of the families in Texas and another shooting in in an elementary school and I lift those families up to you even today and I ask that your your peace would be there for them and in something that doesn't make any sense at all I pray that that you would reveal yourself to those folks heal the hurt that they're feeling even today Father for those in our military and that are serving right now in different parts of the country God would you Make yourself known to them as well and help them to sense your presence and know how real you are and how much you care for them and the way that you want to meet their needs and the way that you want to show up in their life each and every day. Thank you for those who have given so much to this country already. God, would you bless them? Would you encourage their hearts today? And thank you that we as a country get a chance to remember what it is that's happened for us and our freedom doesn't come for free. (laughs) It's a great cost. We also know that our freedom spiritually comes at a great cost. came at a great cost through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. I pray that we wouldn't quickly forget what's been done for us. That the Father who loved us so much made a way for us to be made right with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Thanks. Thank you that that's still available to us. And that your spirit still strives to make mankind right with you. We ask now in the next few moments as we open the word of God that we would see your son Jesus Christ very clearly. We ask that your spirit would be able to touch our hearts and speak to us. There's been a lot that's gone on this week and we're easily distracted as a people. And so would you cause our attention to be focused on you in the next few moments. We'll praise you for that. And whatever it is that you're going to do in our hearts, thank you beforehand. And help us to say yes to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks. You may have a seat. Glad that you're here with us this morning. If you were with us last week, we started a series uh, that are going to take us for the next 13 or 14 weeks in the book of Genesis. And as I talked to you last week about this series, I was very clear that we will not be going through the entire book of Genesis in 14 weeks. Uh, That's not possible. Um, But we're going to pick some things out of the book of Genesis, and we're going to chat through uh, some really important lessons that are found there in that book. Last week, I had the opportunity of sharing with you uh, the beginning, the creation. And we talked a little bit about um, the days of, of creation. But what we really focused on last week was this fact that All that's given to us in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 are really about the person of God, right? If you remember, there's over 40 mentions in the first two chapters of the book of Genesis of what God did or what he said or how he reacted or even how he felt about what what happened. And we ended that last week by talking about this fact that God, everything that he did, everything that he created, he created it and he said it wasn't just good, it was very good. All of his creation was very good. And we chatted a little bit about the fact that man was made in the image and the likeness of God. 
And God being the creator God, right? He was so imaginative in all that he created. All you have to do is stop for a few moments and look around at all that we see in nature, all that we see in what God has created. And you realize that God is so imaginative in how he creates. And he gave that to us. And we see that in what man creates even today, that we're made in his likeness and his image. Now that was marred, and we're going to talk about that today. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 3 today. We're going to look at the fall of man. Have you ever been at a point in your life where where you think, man, if I could just obtain certain things or if I could just end up at a certain place in my life, my life would be perfect, right? If I had this amount of security or I lived in this house or I worked at this job or I was married to this person or, or you name whatever it is, my life would be perfect. It would be absolutely wonderful if that's the way my life was. And, and I would be the happiest person in all the world. And I would wake up every day completely ecstatic with my life because of where I am. Right? You know that's not true. Don't tell me that's right. You know as well as I do that our very nature says when we get the things that we really want, right? Our wanter meters, our wanter meters are broken. All right? Just admit it right up front. All of us have the same issue. We want certain things, and when we get those things that we think we want, guess what? They're not enough, or they break, or they rust, or they fall apart, or they come out with a new model. That's, that's always what happens. There's something new. There's something better. And we're not happy with what it is that we have. And perfection is always an illusion that is just out of our reach, isn't it? It's just beyond our, it's so close, I can almost grab it. And then it's gone again. And that happens to us over and over and over again. And we live our lives seeking for and trying to get things that just never will fulfill us and never will make us happy. Well, there was two people in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, that that wasn't true for. Adam and Eve, when we finished the book of Genesis, I mean, we finished the first two chapters of Genesis, Adam and Eve were living in perfection. Everything about their life was perfect. If you look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 25, I'll read it to you. It starts, this is the end of chapter 2. It won't be on the screen. I'll just read it for you. It says this, both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. The end of chapter 2 says this. It seems like a weird verse, but what it's saying is this. They're complete. Everything about their life was complete. There was, no, there was nothing that would make their life incomplete or imperfect. It was exactly the way God intended it for it to be. They actually were at the point that we're striving for all the time. We're thinking in our minds constantly, if I had this, if I could get that, if I could reach this, if I could could attain that level, I would be so happy. I would be living in perfection. And Adam and Eve at the end of chapter 2 were in that very place. And it says this, there was no, there was nothing between them as a couple, as Adam and Eve. There was no shame. There was nothing in their life that made them 
look at each other in a weird way and say, that ah, they don't really like me, they don't care about me. Everything about their relationship, everything about the place that God had placed them, everything about what they were doing in their life, they were both working. You realize that, right? That God gave them a job to look after the garden, to care for it. And everything about their life was 100% perfect, exactly the way it should be. They had it all. And that chapter ends by saying this, there was absolutely no shame and there was no walls and there was nothing in their life that was wrong or out of sorts at all. And if you follow through the first four chapters of Genesis, you realize this, that not only was their life perfect, but their communication and their communion with God was also perfect. Scripture tells us this, that Adam and Eve and God walked and talked in the garden together. And it seems like it was a common occurrence. And so in perfection, they, they hung out with one another. They worked together and got along. I don't know if you've ever worked with your spouse. Some, some, some couples don't do well working together. They struggle with that. But these guys, Adam and Eve, they worked well together and they enjoyed each other's company and they enjoyed the presence of God. And everything was as it should be. It was right. It was perfect. Don't you wish you were there? Yeah. There were no barriers. Everything was right. And then we hit chapter 3. If we could just stop there at chapter 2, it would be a short Bible, wouldn't it? <laughs> And then we hit chapter 3. I like to think that between chapter 2 and chapter 3, don't, don't, don't base your understanding of Scripture on this little statement that I'm about to make, but I like to think when I think about the story, because I love stories, and I love to think that the story of Adam and Eve and the story of Adam and Eve and God, I like to think that there's a period of time between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. I like to think that they enjoyed... God, a relationship and communication and time with God. Because when we hit Genesis chapter 3, everything changes rather abruptly. Let, let me show you this because here's the statement that arrives in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Beginning of chapter 3. Remember chapter 2? Everything is what? Perfect. Everything is exactly the way God wanted it to be. Relationships are perfect. Everything is 100% awesome. It's amazing. And then this. My first question to you, is that really what God said in Genesis to Adam and Eve? The serpent comes and says to them, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Well, let's see what God really said. If you look at chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, you are, you say the word with me, it's on the screen, you are what? Free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. There's a difference between what Satan shows up in chapter one, chapter 3, verse 1, and chapter 2 when God actually told Adam and Eve what they should do, isn't there? There's a big difference. 
And this is what Satan, by the way, does to you and I all the time. He takes and he twists God's word in our mind. He takes what God says to us and he takes the words of God and he, he shuffles them around so they, they sound out of order, but they sound good. or They, they, they still seem like they could be right, but, but maybe not quite right. And he does this to us all the time. It wasn't just something that he did to Adam Eve one time. He does this to us each and every day of our life. He leads us to think that God does not have my best interest in mind. And that's what he was doing with Eve here. When he shows up to Eve, he says, look, God put you in this garden. and Look at all that's in this garden. And, and didn't God say that, that you weren't allowed to even eat anything here? And it wasn't what God said at all. Genesis chapter 3, verse 5, he says this, In fact, God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And he takes this thought of saying, God is holding out on you. God is holding something good back from you. And if you actually took what God is holding out from you, the thing that God isn't allowing you to have, then you'll become just like God and you'll know the same amount that God knows it's the same trick that he plays today that's really not bad for you that relationship with someone or 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 that little conversation with someone who's not your spouse that little flirtatious comment that's really not that bad don't worry about it or or trying that that substance, just, just try it once because it's really not that bad. It won't really hurt that bad. Or, or using your finances for something that you know that you should do. One time, it's not gonna, it won't matter that much. Don't worry about it. And, and if you do, you're really going to like what you receive. From, it's going to feel really, it's going to be great. You'll, you'll enjoy it. You'll, you'll be better for it. So what he die? This, this, this is not new, folks. This is exactly what happened with Eve, and he does it to us still today, the exact same thing. We are tempted to doubt God and his directives. God really doesn't know your heart. He really doesn't know what's best for you. I want you to look briefly with me, if you would, in the next few verses at the progression that happens for Adam and Eve because you need to understand something this morning. The progression that happened with Adam and Eve happens in my heart and happens in your heart. It's repeated every day of life with humanity. It does not end. And we need to be aware of what it is that happens in the human heart. And so I want you to walk with me through this. Let me read it for you. Chapters, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. He corrects, she corrects Satan. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat or touch it or you will die. First thing I want you to catch from this response, first thing that I want you to understand that's completely wrong about her response. She engaged in a conversation that was untrue. 
She engaged in a conversation with someone who's a liar. Satan is a liar from the very beginning. It is his nature. It is his very being. It is who he is. It's what he's all about. He never tells the truth. And she engaged in a conversation that she should not even been part of. When you start to be tempted by somebody or something that you know is wrong, don't engage in the conversation. Turn and run as fast as you can in the other direction. It doesn't mean you're weak. It means you're smart. And instead of Eve walking away from Satan in this conversation, she stayed and she engaged in the conversation. And often we think, we're smart enough, we can walk through this. We can figure it out for ourselves. And if I have a conversation, I'll bring them along with me. And no, you can't. You can't do it. Don't engage. I love Joseph. I love the story of Joseph. And if you remember the story of Joseph, Joseph was a slave and he had risen back up out of, out of prison and, and, and Potiphar had taken him and put him, put, put him in, in a place of, of honor. And he, he got higher and higher and higher in the house. And he was ruling the house. And Potiphar trusted him so much that he put him as number two, just under Potiphar. And, and, and scripture tells us this, that nothing happened in Potiphar's house without Joseph's say-so. He was that well-trusted as a slave. Potiphar's wife looked at Joseph and saw that he was handsome and wanted him. And she kept making moves toward him and asking him when Potiphar was gone to come and be with her. And I love Joseph's response in that passage of scripture. You remember it? She came to him one more time and said, come, my husband is gone. And instead of flirting with temptation and having a conversation about it, Scripture says this, that he turned and he ran out of the house. And he ran so fast, he left his coat behind. He's out of there. And Joseph's response was this. He said, how could I do such a great sin against not Potiphar's wife and not Potiphar, against God? How could I do such a great sin against God? And folks, for us, often we flirt and we play and we have conversations in the middle of temptations because we say this in our mind, it doesn't affect anybody but me. And it's a lie. It affects God, the one who gave his very life so that you could be redeemed. It slaps him in the face and says, look, what you did, what you did for me, I don't care. That's what it says. It slaps my family in the face because it affects everyone who's close to me. And Eve, at the very beginning of the conversation, should have turned and ran the other direction as fast as she possibly could. But she didn't. She stayed. And she engaged in the conversation. Notice what she did. She added to God's word in the middle of it as well. God said, God said, you are free to eat from any one of these trees. And she took the word free out. You're not free to anymore. We're limited to only these trees. There's only one that God said she couldn't. And she took the word free from all the other trees and said, no, God's not that free with us. He's really holding out. 
And then she added, if you look at that passage, she added, not only are, are, are we, there, there's trees we can't, but we can't even touch it. God never said that. He never said that at all. And that's what we do often with God. We say, God, God's limiting me in what I can and can't do. God doesn't like me that much. God doesn't care for me that much. And that's what Eve does. She puts words in God's mouth that weren't even there. And she takes away blessings and freedoms that God had already given her. This is us. We make God into something that he's not. We conjure up a picture of God that isn't true. And that is why knowing the word of God for yourself is so important. That is why hiding the word of God and, and memorizing scripture and getting it down into your very heart and the core of your being is so important. And I know sitting in these theaters and watching online, there's people who are sitting here and saying this, I'm too old to memorize. No, you're not. I disagree. Our mind is a muscle. Our memory is a muscle that if we work, it gets stronger. And you can do what it is that you put your mind to do. And it's called work. It's one of those words we don't like. And we'll work hard at things we enjoy, but things that we don't really like, guess what? We won't work hard at because it's too hard. It takes too much effort. I, I, I can't do it. And we have all kinds of excuses. But let me tell you about those excuses. You want to know where they come from? Satan himself. Because you know what Satan knows? That if you hide the word of God in your heart, he has a harder time to tempt you. Do you know what Satan knows that you don't know? Your best defense against sin and temptation is truth. And he knows it. And so for a country and a nation and a church that has more advantage with the word of God, it's used less. It becomes commonplace. And we don't bother with it. And it's by hiding the word of God in my heart that I fight against the temptation of Satan and the misuse of Scripture that Satan does. He does it today in your life and in my life. And then you see this, what Eve does. She weighs out the benefits of what Satan's saying. Ever played this game? You ever weighed it out in your mind? Ever justified right and wrong in your mind? Well, she does it. Let me read it for you. It's Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom so she took some of the fruit and she ate it. And she also gave it to her husband who was with her and he ate it. It looks good for food. It's delightful to look at. It must taste good. It's desirable because it will bring something good to my life. Have you ever been here before? You ever been tempted by something you know you shouldn't do? A place that you shouldn't be? A conversation that you shouldn't be part of? But you look at it and you say, yeah, but it makes me a well-rounded person. Yeah, but if I go there, I could witness to those people when I go there. Even though it's my Achilles heel, even though I know it's the thing that will cause me to fall. But if I go, I could, I could talk about God, but you won't. Whatever it is that's the sin issue that you struggle with, 
You have a hundred justifications for why it's okay. And there's one why it's not. You know why it's not? Because it's sin. Boy, we don't like that in North America. We like to choose stuff for ourselves. God says, no, it's sin. Anything done against the character of God and the person of God is sin. It's that simple. And Eve looks at this tree and she says, wow, it looks good. I bet you it tastes good. Not only does it look good, it's delightful to look at. Oh, if I had a little bit of that, I'd be wiser still. And the scripture says, so she took it and she ate it. And she gave it to her husband and he did the same. Now James helps us with this because he shows us some of the same thoughts from the New Testament. Let me read this to you from James chapter 1. No one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God. Since God is not tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. If you're tempted, it's coming from Satan. Just let's be clear about that. It's not God. He doesn't do that. But each person is tempted. Now pay attention to this. When he is drawn away and enticed by his own desires. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. Get this picture. Scripture, James, the Holy Spirit used James to tell us this, that look, temptation wins when we are enticed and drawn away from what we know is right. We know the word of God is right. We know it's right for us to hide it in our heart. We know it's the best thing for us to fill our lives with the good of the person of Jesus Christ and allow the Holy Spirit to have control by the word of God in our hearts. But we are drawn away and enticed when we, when we stop following the word of God and we begin to listen to our own desires in our heart and we say, but I've worked so hard. I deserve. You ever been there? I deserve. I'm owed. We're owed nothing and you deserve nothing. If you got what you deserved, if I got what I deserved, it would be separation from God for eternity. That's what I deserve because I'm a sinner. Say, Tim, you're awful harsh. But no, that's the truth. But we're so good at lying to ourselves. We're so good at justifying what it is that we feel we want and we need. And James says this, that when I get into that mindset, I am drawn away from what is truth. And it begins to sink down into my heart. And the word there is this, that it conceives. In other words, a new life is born in me, a life of sin. Now, I have a sin nature by nature. I'm not talking that a brand new thing. What I'm saying is this, it comes alive in me. That's what scripture is saying. And when it comes alive in me, it gives, it gives life to death, gives birth to death in me. Sin always will lead me away from God to death, always. Sin in my life, folks, if you're flirting with sin right now, if you're living in sin, if you have allowed sin to have control of your life, it is killing your relationships it is killing your own heart. It is 
it is killing what you have between you and your heavenly father if you're a Christ follower here. You will feel far from God. It's not that God went anywhere. It's that sin has come alive in your life. And God cannot be part of sin. He's holy. He's just. He's righteous. And he and sin are like oil and water. They do not go together. And so James says this, look, I'm drawn away. It's conceived in my heart. It's born out, and I die. That's what happens to me. That's what happens to me. In the end of verse 6, she says, And she took it and gave it to her husband, and they both ate. Adam failed, guys. I want you to understand. We, we joke around. I know people joke. You know, if Eve hadn't taken the apple, we'd all be, you know, right? Adam failed. If you remember in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, God said that it wasn't good for Adam to be alone. He needed a helper to complete him. God created them as a team to work together, and Adam never stepped in and said, hey, this is wrong. He didn't help her, and that that was the whole point of them being together, (laughs) is that they would help one another, that they would be there for one another, and Adam failed. He never put up a stink, and he should have. He should have fought for what was right. But instead, he joined. And folks, I need you to know something. I want to stop here. I want to, just for one minute, I want you to get this. It's far easier as a believer to join somebody who's doing something that's wrong than it is to pull them to do something right. Just catch that. Eve said, hey, look, this looks really good. Why don't you take some of it? Instead of Adam going, no, that's wrong. We can't do that. We can't go there. He said, yeah, you're right. It looks pretty good. Why don't I join you? Teenager, young person, I need you to hear me. I need you to listen really close right now. If you're a Christ follower and you're dating someone who is not, don't think you'll draw them to Christ. It's more likely they will draw you away from Christ. Hear me. It can change your life, your entire life, because you give in to something that is ungodly and is not right. It's what you... It's the picture. It's the same thing that happened in the garden. And you are not smart enough. You are not strong enough. And you are not good enough to do something different than Adam and Eve did. Think about it. Chapter 1 and 2 was perfection. They were with God in communion, in walking and talking. And yet they were drawn away and they fell. Teenager, listen to me. Hear me. You be careful. You guard your heart. You guard your relationships. You guard your relationship with Jesus Christ with your life because it matters that much. It matters that much. As Christ followers, then you ask the question, can we fight temptation? I mean, Adam and Eve failed. Can we do anything? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 gives us this No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful, 
And he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with a temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. Folks, understand this. God does not leave us hanging. He doesn't stand out there and say, man, I I saved you and I hope you can make it. He doesn't do that. His promise is this, that if there's a temptation that comes your way, He will provide a way out. Guys, he will provide a way out. One of the ways he provides is your feet run for all you're worth. Don't be stupid. Use what God gave you. If it's TV, if it's pornography, if it's those things that have grabbed your attention, shut it off. Blow the TV up. Shoot it. Do whatever you got to do. Run in the other direction. We sit today and we say, oh, I can't. I have to have internet. I have to have my phone. I have to have... No, you don't. Do you realize that people live for centuries without any of that stuff? And they made it quite well. Do you realize that what you need is a little bit of food, a roof over your head, and a job to work at? That's all you need to live? Do you know that? The rest of the stuff... You don't need. And so if it's something that's tempting you and pulling you away, God promises, I will provide a way out. You just got to take it. You got to take it. And I'll give you the grace and I'll give you the strength that you need to walk through that. But you have got to take the step to do it. Are you willing? Now I want to look at the end of this, at the outcome of disobedience this morning. Because there's some very interesting things that happen. And I think you'll see yourself in this as well. I see myself. First thing that you see in, this, in these verses, chapter 3, verses 8 to 10, they hid. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. It seems like this happened often, by the way this is written. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So the Lord called to the man and he said, where are you? And he said, I heard you walking in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. Hey, you need to know something. When you sin, when you're a Christ follower and you sin, your first response is to hide. Run and hide. Because when we stand before God, everything about us is exposed. That's what Adam was afraid of. I'm exposed before God. We all are. We all are. Then they blamed. (laughs) Verses 11 to 13. And then he asked, well, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, the woman you gave to be with me. (laughs) She gave me some fruit from the tree. And I ate. And so the Lord asked the woman, what have you done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. It's what we all do, right? We blame somebody else. It's not my fault that I made this decision. It's because of where I grew up and my environment or my lack of a good job or, or the lack of the whatever. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. No, I want to tell you something right now. When you and I stand before God, guess who's responsible for what I did? I am. Guess who's responsible for what you did? Put your hand up. You are. You are. And God is not going to look at us and say, oh, I know, so-and-so made you do that. Uh Uh-uh. He's not. 
he's going to look at me and he's going to say, Tim, I gave you a free will and I gave you a mind and I gave you a body and I told you when I created you to use it and use it for my glory and make decisions that honor me. It's on you. So they hid and they blamed. And we all do it, don't we? When we sin, we hide, we run from the very one who could save us, God himself. And we blame someone else for why we are where we are. Well, there's consequences for our sin. Sin affects everyone. You've got to know this. There is no one in this world. There's no one in these rooms. There's no one in church today. There is no one who is not affected by sin. Every one of us are affected by sin. And sin has consequences. Let me show you the consequences. First of all, the consequence to the serpent or to Satan himself. Verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. And you will move on your belly and eat dust for the rest of the days of your life. I will curse you because of what you did. And I know that Satan took the form of a serpent, but God is making the consequences of sin real. This is something that is real. It's something that is physical. It's something that we can touch. To Eve and to all women, he said this. He said to the woman, this is verse 16, I will intensify your labor pains, and you will bear children with painful effort, and your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. In other words, the word pain there means this, that you will entoil and deep labor, you will have children. And then the word goes on and it says this, and those children could bring or will bring sorrow. It's not just the pain of birth. It's, it's growing them up and having them leave you. It's seeing the effects of their life and the decisions that they make. But in sorrow, you will raise those children. And then he says this, and more of the curse in your life will be this, that you'll desire your husband. And that could mean three different things there. It could mean intimately you will desire a relationship with your husband. It could mean this, that you will desire to be with your husband and you can't be with your husband all the time. And it means this, that, that you will desire to rule over your husband. All three of those are seen in, that, in, in the phrase there. And women, that's what happens. You want to be close to your husband, and there's times where you can't be. You want to be close, intimately close to your husband, and there's times because of stuff that's going on that you pull apart. You want to be physically close. You don't want to have to go work. and If you love the person, you want to be near them. And then sometimes your desire is, ah, he's not doing it right. I just want to rule over him and make him do what I want. It's a consequence of sin. Guys, Adam, there's a consequence of sin for you too. Verses 17 to 19, he said to the man, because you listened to your wife and you ate from the tree which I commanded you not to, then the ground is cursed because of you and you will eat from it by means of painful labor. Same word, by the way, as the one that's used, or very similar in nature. All the days of your life and it will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field and you will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground and since you were taken from it, you are dust and you will return to dust. In other words, he says this, you will work and work and work and it will be painful, worrisome toil and it will be sorrowful for you all the days of your life because you sinned and you're going to work really hard and it's going to seem like you didn't get anywhere. And you will live only to die. 
Romans 5 tells us that the curse of death passed on all of humanity. Scripture tells us this, that all creation felt the effects of sin. Two, if you look at Romans, it says this, that creation itself groans. What was beautiful and created in perfection now groans with the weight of sin. And it's waiting, it's longing for the day when God will make it new and sin will be no more. So you're sitting there this morning and say, Pastor Tim, I think I'm going to leave because this is really discouraging. And what you're talking about is really difficult. And I don't think I like it. I don't either. But you know what? In the middle of this section, there's hope. In the middle of chapter 3, there's hope. Let me read it for you. It's verse 15. He says this, I will put hostility between you and the woman. This is Satan and the woman. And between your offspring and her offspring. And he, that he there is Christ, will strike your head, the devil's head. And you will strike his heel. The hope that's promised in the middle of this, yes, there's consequence for sin. Yes, we are separated from God. Yes, our life is filled with temptation and difficulty. But in the middle of God dealing with the sin of man, he says, look, I will send one who pays the price for sin. I will send one who will make it right. I will make an ability for you to have a relationship with me again. Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Now since the children of flesh and blood in common... Jesus also shared in these. In other words, he became man like us. So that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil. The promise of of Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 is this. Yes, I know you sinned, mankind. And I know that the result of sin is death. And I know that... God's saying this, I know that there's nothing you can do in and of yourself to make your relationship with me right. But I love you so much because I created you in my likeness and image that I will send one, my son. And he will defeat Satan and death and the grave. And he will make it possible for you to fight temptation, to win over temptation, but even greater than that, to have life eternal with me in heaven. Isn't that hope? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? That in the middle of Adam and Eve's sin, God cared so much for us that he said, look, I'm not going to let Satan win. I'm not going to let death win. I'm going to make a way for man to be made right. And folks, our challenge now is to do the very thing opposite of what Adam and Eve did. Ours is to run to the Father. To run to the one who made a way for us to have a relationship with him. Don't run and hide. Don't blame. Don't bring somebody else into the mix. Run to God himself. Expose yourself to God and say, God, I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I know that your promise is to save me and make me right with you. Run to the Father. The band's going to sing a song for us in the next couple of minutes right now. And they're going to paint that picture of running to the Father. I want you to just listen to that. And I want you to place yourself in Adam and Eve's shoes. Are you hiding? Are you playing the blame game? Are you flirting with temptation in your life? Are you giving in to sin and justifying your actions? Are you on the fringes of what's right? Don't. Run to the Father. Run to the one who's willing 
to make you right, Jesus Christ.